For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further. For their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And Father, we just pause and ask once again for the help supernaturally now of the Spirit of God to just understand these scriptures that you've given to us. Lord, that your spirit who inspired them initially, that they might be recorded for our benefit and profit, that your spirit now would prepare us to hear the voice of God and that we would be able to understand by the help of your Holy Spirit that he would be our teacher and the one who would apply the word of God to our hearts. So please, you know what we're asking, Lord, prepare us, bless your word and speak to us. We ask in Jesus name and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, I have found that it's true that sometimes the hardest things to hear are actually the most helpful things to hear. A lot of times what we really need to hear can be pretty difficult to swallow or actually have spoken to us. And in this section, Paul, the apostle here, is sharing some really hard realities that it's important as well as helpful for us to realize and to accept. He shares realities like the fact that there are always going to be the dangerous presence of false teachers and those who will use a spiritual cover-up in this life to manipulate people and will use the things of God and the things of Christ as basically a way of hiding their true intention in ways that they want to take advantage of and manipulate people. He mentions as well in the text here that those who really want to faithfully live for the Lord Jesus are going to suffer mistreatment and hardship at times as a direct result of their desire to be committed to Christ. And that if you truly want to live committed to Christ and be fully devoted to him, that attached to that is going to come a cost and at times mistreatment and difficulty. Now, in the prior section, we looked at the beginning of chapter three. Paul had just declared there that in the last days, that is in the time leading up to the return of Christ, he said their perilous times will come. And we talked about how those are a reference to days that are going to be difficult and dangerous, times literally hard to deal with is what the text is trying to indicate. And the reason why perilous times are going to come in the last days, Paul said, was due to the evil conditions among mankind. He said there in verse 2, if I can draw your attention back, he said, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters and proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, unloving and unforgiving, slanderers and without self-control, brutal and despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he said, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, he exhorted, turn away. So notice, one of the evil characteristics, and I think this sort of transitions into where we're going next in 2 Timothy 3, one of the evil characteristics that will exist among people and will even exist among the church itself at large, one of those characteristics will be people will maintain an outward and public appearance of being a godly person. Yet though they maintain this outward image of godliness, yet in their personal and private life, they are actually rejecting the power of the Spirit of the Lord from really ruling in their life. And it's an outward image of godliness. It's a representation of being a follower of Christ. But really in their personal and private life, they are refusing any effort of the power of God's Spirit from really ruling and controlling their life outside of the outward image of of godliness they're basically spiritual imposters they're pretending to serve christ they're pretending to live for god but they're not truly living in submission to him there's no real experience of the spirit's power happening inside of them and one group that fits into that category paul's going to now say is false teachers those who are false teachers and deceitful workers he identifies them in verse 13 by calling them evil men and impostors who are deceiving people, people who will use a spiritual cover-up to mislead and actually manipulate people. Listen to what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15, regarding false teachers and deceitful workers. It says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. I want you to hear what the Bible says. Hard to swallow, but important to digest. His ministers. The Bible teaches that Satan has his own ministers that function as ministers of righteousness in deceptive ways that even as satan transforms himself into an angel of light isn't it interesting people say i had this experience where i saw the light i felt drawn to this light and even as satan himself works by deception and subtly trying to sneaky ways draw people away into deception the bible actually says that satan has his own ministers who operate as ministers of righteousness but are deceitful workers seeking to actually draw people away. Well, here in our text, we get some of the description of how these false teachers and deceitful workers operate. Look in verse 6. Paul just said, turn away from these dangerous people. And then he says, for of this sort, verse 6, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the Bible here identifies 
how these dangerous religious phonies will operate in their, manip their, their manipulation. The first thing he says there in verse 6, look at it in the text, he says, of this sort, this kind, he says, what they do is they creep into households. The image there is like how a snake would subtly slither its way into an opening. He says they, they creep into households. The indication here is they use sneaky tactics to gain access into households or among families and they pray particularly the bible says here at times upon vulnerable and weak women who are easily manipulated or perhaps are easily able to be taken control of he says there in the text they make captives of gullible or the idea is naive women it says that is women who are easily persuaded or misguided particularly he says in verse 6 those loaded down with sins that is those struggling under the weight of guilt and guilt and shame is just heavy upon their life maybe for failures in their life and as well those who are loaded down or not only with sins but led away by it says various lusts that is women easily drawn away to strong desires and in verse 7 he says particularly these women are those who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it pictures women with a strong desire to learn spiritual things. That is, there's this deep yearning for things that are spiritual, and they're always looking for new ideas and new insights, longing for what's spiritual, however, is what causes them to pursue all types of different spiritual paths. And it's this longing for spiritual things and this enjoyment of always discovering new approaches to a better way of life. Or is there some new system or some new philosophy or some new thing that somebody can present to them like a, you know, like a slick sales package and this craving to always learn what's new and deeper? How can I have a better life? How can I have a, a more wonderful life, a higher life, a, you know, something that would bring more happiness and fulfillment? But it's that very thing to learn what is new that keeps them from ever learning the knowledge of God's truth. They're always learning, trying new things, but they remain hindered from understanding the knowledge of the truth, which is the simplicity that God's word says the simple plan is living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not following some new system or some new way or something that's going to bring happiness or deeper holiness. And it's these things described here in these verses that keep these individuals, these women that were being preyed upon, Paul talks about, vulnerable to the control of those who are trying to take advantage of them. Now, what I see here is really just a, a duplication of from what happened from the Garden of Eden, where Satan did what? Satan capitalized on the deep curiosity within Eve for something more. I mean, she had everything. But there was this deep curiosity for something deeper, something more. And Satan capitalized on that curiosity in her heart to pursue this, to try that, to find the next greatest thing. And that's how he captivated and misled her. And Satan's earthly ministers to this day and in the last days will be manipulators in the same capacity. Now, now here's what's important to see. Beware, because whether it is weak and vulnerable women trying to be manipulated, or for that matter, whether it's any person, th those who are living under the weight of guilt and shame in their life, 
because of sinful mistakes and past failures, those who are easily drawn and fulfilling their desires and pleasures for sin, and those who are uninformed and lacking the knowledge of the truth of God's word will always be easy prey. Those qualities and characteristics will always make a person easy prey for spiritual manipulators and deceivers. Yet, listen, it is in knowing and following Jesus that all of those struggles referenced there are resolved. Because think about it. If somebody is struggling under the weight of guilt and shame for their personal failures, Jesus can alleviate your guilt through the forgiveness of sins. If a person is you know, struggling with always desiring and craving lusts and longings and pursuing this pleasure and that fulfillment or struggling with sin, Jesus can bring inward fulfillment. And Jesus can give power to overcome any sin, no matter how many sins you're loaded down with. Jesus is the answer when someone is looking for all these new ideas. Jesus can lead a person into the truth so they stop pursuing empty paths of error. The answer is Jesus. It's the simplicity of Jesus. And this is what, unfortunately, these people were being led away to. Well, Paul, going on in regards to these things, says to us in verse 8, Now as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these, the ideas of these false teachers, also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So Paul now using an Old Testament example here indicates, notice, how evil will never ultimately triumph against the truth and the power of God. He reminds Timothy here in verses 8 and 9 regarding Jannes and Jambres who resisted Moses but ultimately failed in their attempts. Now it is most likely that what he's referring to here is the events in Exodus 7 through 9. Where remember, God sent Moses as his ambassador of truth into the court of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to demand that the Pharaoh would let God's people go and release them from their slavery. And God, to confirm the truth of his word, began to perform miracles through Moses, who was his true servant operating in the power of God. Yet, remember, these magicians, and these perhaps could be the name of two of them, Jannes and Jambres, that resisted Moses, these magicians sought to resist the truth and the power of God and worked in opposition. Whenever Moses did a miracle, remember, they would seek to duplicate and imitate the power of God. Exodus 7 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a servant. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers and so the magicians of Egypt and they also did in like manner with their enchantments for every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. Imitation or perhaps just a manipulation and it wasn't really happening and it was all just a hoax. But Aaron's rod, however, swallowed up their rods. The power of God swallowed up anything that they were doing. Now, as God then started bringing the plagues, then remember upon the people of Egypt to give them incentive to obey what God was asking, 
Remember, God brought the first plague where the water was turned to blood and then God brought the plague of the frogs. And these magicians kept imitating in their resistance all the plagues that God was doing, which just goes to show you when the power of the devil is at work, things don't get better. They get worse. You turn the water to blood. Hey, let's turn more water to blood. There's frogs all over the whole land. Hey, let's make more frogs all over the whole land. You know, whenever the devil works, he doesn't make life better. He makes it miserable, makes it more miserable. But as they were trying to duplicate these same plagues in imitation, by the time it got to about the third plague, the magicians realized they could not imitate the power of God successfully. And it was manifest and exposed to everyone. They were unable to do what the power of God's true servants were doing. They failed in their effort and God's truth and power exposed them as fakes and as frauds and as those who were not in line with the truth of God or his power. Now, Paul uses that example to apply to these false teachers and deceitful workers in Timothy's day. And that will exist in the last days. That's why he says there in verse eight, even as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, he said, so do these current false teachers. They also resist the truth. That is, they're working in opposition to God's truth and to God's true servants as well. And he calls them as well in the text there. He says, verse eight, these are men of corrupt minds. That is, their way of thinking is corrupted. It's distorted by sin and by self-seeking desires and just the, you know, the deception that's happened. They're not operating in alignment with the true Christian faith or New Testament teaching because they're under the influence of Satan guiding people into further deceptions. Listen to how Second Peter chapter 2, Peter describes the reality of these things in a very picturesque way. Listen to what he says. He says, there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, notice, secretly bring in destructive heresies and denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And here's what's sad, listen, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. How picturesque the Bible is. They entice unstable souls. They're trained in covetous, greedy, manipulative practices. They're seeking to utilize their efforts to take advantage of people. But notice, which is so encouraging to me, verse 9, Paul's confidence from the Spirit of God, though these things will exist, he says, verse 9, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be, it's going to happen, manifest to all, even as theirs, Jannies and Jambres, also was. Paul knew in due time that even as those Egyptian magicians were exposed and called into the light and it became manifest that their evil and error was what it was in the same manner God will deal with false teachers and deceitful workers and those who don't have pure and proper intentions God will stop them and God will expose them but listen in the meantime we cannot be naive spiritually we cannot be gullible spiritually and just swallow everything that is set before us 
on a plate lest we be deceived. First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they be of God. Paul writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 said, Do not quench the spirit and don't despise prophecies. But he said, hold fast to that which is good. In other words, there's the balance there. We're not to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to be open to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to value, not despise and dismiss that a prophetic word can come forth. That God may speak in a prophetic way and the gifts of his Holy Spirit need to still be in operation among the church. He says, don't despise or, or cut off those things. But he says, but also don't be naive and foolish. Make sure you check, is that from the Holy Spirit or from somebody's human spirit? Is that from the Holy Spirit or is that from an evil spirit? And he says, so you got to test and hold fast to what's good, that we use that wisdom and discernment. And he says here, ultimately, their folly will become manifest to all, even as Jannies and Jambres was. Now, this text also reminds us that when people are doing what is wrong and they're opposing the ways of God, listen, in time, there will come a time when God will put a stop to it. If somebody's doing that which is wrong and somebody is working in opposition to the ways and the will of God, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is very long-suffering, but there will come a time when God will put a stop to something and God will expose something to the light for what it is and expose things publicly and openly that are happening in the dark and in the secret. And listen, let me tell you something. I can assure you with 25 years of ministry behind me at this point, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. I've seen where the outward image is all these wonderful things and yet there was something going on in the dark in the private life, in the personal life. And sometimes I've seen it go on for years, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years. But in time, God's going to bring it to the light. He will ultimately expose it and he will flush it out in time and it will ultimately be made manifest. And here God did it in that day. And in some ways, that's a consolation to those of us who find ourselves working through these things. He says that their folly will be manifest. God will deal with it in his timing. Now, it's very likely, I think, the prevalence of these false teachers and their seeming success in misleading people was probably, I think, discouraging Timothy. And Paul understood that as a, a true and a faithful minister of God. It was probably very disheartening and discouraging. So Paul, going on in our text now, he redirects Timothy's attention to staying the right course, despite the contrary winds blowing against the church. He says, verse 10, Timothy, but you, you've carefully followed my doctrine, he says, manner of life and purpose and faith and long-suffering love and perseverance and persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra what persecutions I endured so thus far Paul indicates Timothy had done what is good and right spiritually and notice the primary reason for that one of them was because he followed very wisely a healthy pattern of Christian living as well as ministry. God had brought into Timothy's path a great example for his spiritual life. It was Paul the Apostle, his mentor, his example, whom he learned from. Uh, Timothy had found in Paul a worthy example of a true man of God and someone who was a faithful servant 
of the work of the Lord. Paul's life was a great pattern. It was a good model for young Timothy to be able to glean from and to seek to emulate. And Paul reminds Timothy how he had already been and how he should continue to carefully follow. And he mentions carefully follow verse 9 or excuse me, verse 10. He says, my doctrine. That is Paul's doctrine. Timothy had followed Paul's doctrine. That speaks of his teaching and his theological beliefs. That would First of all, certainly be a a reference to the true gospel message of the grace of God for a guilty sinner. That is proclaiming the true gospel that people understand not how to just have a happy life, how to be blessed, how to prosper, but to tell people, listen, we are all failing, guilty sinners before a holy God. And God loves us, but it does not negate the fact that we have all in thought, word, and deed failed and done sinful, selfish, wrong things that make us guilty and deserving of the punishment of eternal damnation and hell. And we have offended our Creator. But yet there's a God of love who didn't want us to be separated and made the initiative to reconcile us to Himself. And He sent His Son, Jesus. And Jesus came and lived the sinless life we can't in our place. And then he died sacrificially taking the punishment we deserve for our sins. And God punished him instead of us. And then Jesus not only died and was buried, but then he rose from the power of death. And he came back alive three days later. And now Jesus, because of what he has accomplished, has sufficiently made himself the right and one and only mediator between holy God and sinful man. And therefore, we must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. And that we must come to Jesus. We must believe upon Jesus as as the Savior for our sins and ask him to forgive us. We must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and know him and follow him because he alone can get us into heaven. And that it's that free gift of eternal life by the grace of God. And it was, it was this doctrine that Paul first brought forth, the grace of God, the true gospel message that Timothy was holding true to, that he was conveying to people. I think as well it just refers to just the sound and healthy doctrine of those Old and New Testament teaching that Paul taught. Paul explained and taught the Old Testament scriptures, that's evident in the Bible, and many of the New Testament letters were written by Paul. And these were the letters that Timothy was aware of and he was conveying and sharing with people. Uh, Again, uh, Paul was not promoting tips for a happier life. Paul was teaching people and informing people how to follow Jesus. That's what his doctrine was. This is how you follow Jesus, not how you live a happy life. And Paul's teaching style as well, as you see it in the book of Acts, certainly included teaching the entirety of Scripture teaching in an expository way what the word of God said. Paul would say, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, fruits, vegetables, everything, the whole counsel of God, a well-balanced diet in its context and understanding. Timothy also, secondly, notice there in verse 10, Timothy also followed Paul's manner of life. That is Paul's lifestyle, the way that he lived. Paul's life was a great example. He had learned from Paul and took note of how Paul, for example, managed his time, what Paul spent his time doing, what he didn't spend his time doing. 
He'd observed and, and taken note of what things Paul did in his patterns and his habits, what things he didn't do, what he avoided. He observed Paul's priorities, no doubt, how Paul handled things, how he made decisions, how he processed certain things. What were Paul's disciplines? What boundaries did he keep? What marked his lifestyle? What were characteristics of his manner of life? Because Timothy recognized that's a good way to live life right there. His manner of life is a great example. And he had noticed and observed the manner of life that Paul the Apostle had. And he thought, hey, that's a good way for me to live my life. Paul lived for Christ. Paul lived for the will of God and and sought to honor the Lord. and, And he upheld the authority of God's word. Paul lived with an openness to the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. Paul was not a spiritual celebrity, just trying to impress people and you know win applause. Paul was a true humble servant, a man of sacrifice and faithfulness, someone who truly loved people and wanted to help them in any way that he could and to honor God's will. And Timothy took note of that and carefully followed that good pattern of a manner of life he also sought to follow paul it says verse 10 to follow paul's purpose and paul's purpose was what to live for christ to please jesus paul's purpose included things like glorifying god and all that he did leading people to jesus and then constantly pointing people back to jesus as the answer and solution for everything he sought to help people grow and mature in their relationship with the lord and paul purposed to help people know the truth of god's word because he knew that that was the light and direction they needed to be able to live properly i think in some ways you might say paul's purpose was best summarized in acts 20 verse 22 to 24 where paul says i'm going bound in the spirit to jerusalem I keep sensing the Holy Spirit's telling me that chains and problems and tribulations await me there. And he said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was Paul's purpose. I don't let things move me off. I know the race that I'm supposed to run and I'm just going to stay in my lane and finish my race. I'm going to finish what God asked me to do. Paul also wanted Timothy to continue to follow his faith, it says there in verse 10. That is Paul's willingness to trust in the Lord, to depend upon the Lord, not his own efforts or other people. Paul's reliance wasn't upon other people. It wasn't upon his own abilities. Paul's reliance was upon the Lord. He lived a life of dependence upon the power of the Lord and the provision of the Lord. When Paul had a need, you examine the way he lived. When Paul had a need, he sought the Lord to take care of that need. He looked to the Lord to supply and he exercised great faith and belief in the power of the gospel message. He exercised tremendous faith in the power of God's word and exercised great belief in just the power of God and the work of the spirit. Paul's life was a life marked by faith. Timothy had also tried to follow not only his purpose and faith, but going on the long suffering that he saw in Paul's life. And that term long suffering there speaks of patience, the ability to bear up a long time under harsh treatment. And Paul endured a lot of harsh treatment, but a lot of times he, you never see him taking any revenge. 
He didn't retaliate. He, he sought to be long-suffering. He would suffer long and, and be patient, even with his persecutors. Notice as well, sixthly, we see there in verse 10, he said, Timothy, you've also carefully followed, he mentions, my love. That is the love that was evident in Paul's life and his ministry. Now, when you look at Paul the Apostle's life, my, my personal observation from Scripture, when you look at Paul the Apostle's life and even just his, his sort of you know, mannerism, his style, I don't think Paul seemed to appear as the most sentimental and maybe emotionally sensitive person. But that being said, Paul was a man who had great love for the people. But Paul's love was typically manifested and revealed, interesting enough, not in sentimentalism or emotional sensitivity. It was displayed in how he sacrificed himself continually. It was displayed in the pouring out of his life and the giving of his life and the sacrificing of himself to reach and care for and serve others. He would pour out his life to bless other people. In fact, it was that love and that characterizing mark of love. Remember, it was love for people which caused Paul to see something unique in Timothy that made Paul come to the conclusion, this is the guy that's caught my vision. And this is the guy who should take over for me. Because Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapters 2 saying this, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your state, how you're doing. And then listen to what he says about Timothy. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Paul understood. You know, th this is what I see in Timothy. He gets it. And he, uh, this is what I know. He will sincerely care for your state. Listen, I can fully relate to that because having pastored a church that I planted for 13 years turned over that work to someone else and come here and you know, plant a, a, a new church. Uh, that was a difficult process. I mean, it's kind of like raising your children for 13 years and then kind of think about, okay, I can't finish raising them. I'm dying of cancer or whatever. You know? So imagine you're dying, so you can't finish raising your children. Who's going to raise my kids? Who's going to do this? And do you know what mattered for me more than anything was some of these scriptures like what Paul talked about Timothy. I, I didn't care who was the best Bible teacher. Yeah, it mattered. You need to be teach the word. I didn't care about what I care. Who will care for these people? Who will love these people and sacrifice for these people? Who loves Jesus and has a pure heart? And they just, they just get it. They understand what ministry is and what ministry is not. And they just have a heart they understand with a pure motive. Those are the things that mattered. And Paul here had this great love. Timothy caught so much of what he did by watching and observing Paul. Seventhly, the last thing he mentions there in verse 10 that he had learned from Paul, notice, was Paul's perseverance. And that word perseverance speaks of endurance, the ability to hold up under pressure when things are hard without giving up, to keep going when it's difficult. You know, it describes that the capacity, we might say, to stick with it. Even when it's not easy, that you stick with it and you keep going, even when the going gets tough, that you don't just quit or give up. And Paul the Apostle, you look at his life, and man, this guy had truly a, a wonderful kind of grit. I mean, just, just as a, almost like a, a sanctified stubbornness that Paul the Apostle had. There was just a determination in him, a faithfulness 
to Paul's nature that despite hardships and resistance and challenge and pains, he wasn't easily swayed. He just kept showing back up. He just kept going to the next town. He just just kept, you know, getting up to the plate and just swing the bat again. Just swing the bat again. And Paul just had this in his nature. And Paul even admitted there were times when he felt weary, but he would still press forward. He would still be faithful when others may have given up or backed out. Paul persevered and kept going. And it was such a beautiful attribute, a beautiful characteristic that Timothy had learned from watching Paul the Apostle. Timothy had taken notice of this great example he saw in Paul as a man and as a servant of God. And I think, as I said, he sought to then apply these things to his own life. That's why Paul says, you've carefully followed these things that you've seen in my life. And can I say by way of application for those of us today, as those of us who are older in the Lord and whatever you may you know, kind of quantify that as, even just older than other people that you know in the Lord as far as how long you've been following Jesus. For those of us who are older in the Lord, may we endeavor to set a quality example for other people who are observing us. Whether it's just as parents with our own children or whether it's just somebody who's been walking with the Lord a year or two longer than others around us, that we could offer a solid pattern for others to follow our world is starving for godly examples godly men and godly women that we would present a pattern to people that they can learn from and follow that they can say hey you know I I, I see their manner of life I need to live my life like that man their faith I wish I had the faith that she had I see the faith that she has she trusts the Lord her prayer life you know, her, th- that person's purpose, boy, they are so purposed. It's so evident the purpose of what their life is and what the purpose of their life is not. And that we would offer that wonderful example that people could emulate like Paul did for Timothy. And I'll tell you, I think too, on the other side of that, it is a wise thing for all of us to look for a Paul figure in our life. There are plenty out there. You know, God didn't put away examples when he was done with Paul. Look for a Paul figure. Look for somebody in your life that you can say, you know what, man, that is a person who, who I respect spiritually and, and, and I look up to them and I want to follow the pattern I see in their life as a person, how they live, how they serve the Lord, someone whose life gives us a healthy model to follow. Well, notice Paul also admits as well in verse 11 how being faithful to Jesus had its challenges attached to it because he says to Timothy as well, Timothy, let me be honest, hard to hear, but you know it's true. There were also, he says, verse 11, persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. So probably referring to the hard experiences of rejection Paul dealt with. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14, those territories that he mentions there, how Paul was persecuted for faithfully preaching Jesus and following God's will for his life. Paul faced resistance. He was expelled from cities for speaking about Christ. He even at times, the Bible tells us, was physically beaten and abused and afflicted with painful wounds. In Acts chapter 14, verse 19, it says, when Paul was preaching and healing people in Lystra, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. So they stoned him to death, dragged him out of the city, left him there, beaten a bloodied mess. They thought he was dead. They just dumped him outside the city. 
And you thought you've been persecuted for telling people about the Lord recently. The crazy thing is that it says afterwards, the people, the believers gather around Paul, he raised back up, and the crazy guy went right back into the city and did it again. And again, but Paul says, look, it, it wasn't all easy. Part of being faithful to Jesus, he said, it, it had its challenges attached to it. But yet Paul, though he endured hardship for faithfully serving Jesus, also learned the faithfulness of Jesus in his hardships. Because look what he says, verse 11. And out of them all, that is the persecutions, afflictions, hardships, out of all those things, the Lord delivered me. Paul had learned, yes, it was hard at times to follow Jesus, but he saw Jesus intervene and deliver him out of the hardest and most difficult circumstances because he went through some difficult things. He got to see the deliverance of the Lord. Now, the method of deliverance, when you read the book of Acts and his epistles, the method of deliverance came in all different ways. It wasn't always the same. The Lord would bring all kinds of unique ways to deliver Paul, but here's the point. Jesus always showed up. And he always stepped in and he always orchestrated a way to rescue and deliver Paul when he was in the midst of the fire. And look, today, perhaps you're enduring something very difficult. Maybe you're going through something very painful. Maybe it looks like the ship is sinking. I want to encourage you, call upon the Lord for his deliverance. Call upon the Lord. The same Jesus who loved Paul and delivered Paul loves you just as much. God's not a partial God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord shows no partiality, and he has the same desire to help you in your hardships to overcome as well. Psalm 34, the psalmist says, I sought the Lord and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Perhaps today that's what you need deliverance from, just the fears and anxieties even more than your circumstances. He says, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers him out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Listen, the Lord cares. The Lord cares about what you're suffering through and the pain you're dealing with and he has the power to deliver you. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the Lord to enter in. Don't let what's happening in your life accomplish the destructive potential. Call upon the Lord. I can't tell you how he's going to bring deliverance. He works in unique ways. But the Lord doesn't neglect the cries of his children. Jesus loves you. Jesus will enter in and somehow, some way, he can deliver you whatever you're going through. Paul then adds some more difficult truth to swallow in verses 12 and 13 for Christians. He says, yes, all in desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I bet that's in your Bible promise book, right? Never makes it in the, in the Christian bookstore. Go in a Christian bookstore. Tell me if you ever find that in a Bible promise book. It's a promise. Not our favorite, though. But evil men, verse 13, and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. So notice, as the last days close in, those who are evil, he says, verse 13, and those who are spiritual imposters are going to multiply. They're going to grow and increase, the Bible says. Evil forms of activity is only going to make progression. Those who are spiritually deceived, false teachers, who are instruments of the devil, are going to just 
continue to increase and grow and abound. The Bible teaches us, hard to swallow but important, the Bible teaches the environment of the last days, including the season leading prior to and up to the rapture of the church when we are removed from this planet by the Lord, and then afterwards following that seven-year period of tribulation that culminates in the return of Jesus to set up his kingdom, that there will be very dark and evil times coming upon this planet. That things will grow darker and harder and more deceptive. Our world is scheduled for greater evil and worse forms of deception than is ever seen in human history. And look, that is why we who want to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus must embrace a hard spiritual reality. And there it is again in verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The word persecution means painful mistreatment, loss of rights, loss of opportunities, being mistreated with harsh words or mockery, even physical suffering, And the reason, due to your association with Jesus, due to your desire to represent the Lord or live for the Lord or stand for what God's word says is true. Notice, suffering forms of persecution is not just for missionaries in hard places on the earth. The Bible says it will be the outcome of any and all Christians who have a desire to live godly in their relationship with Christ Jesus. Now take notice, those who desire to live godly in Christ. I don't think verse 12 applies too much to the person who wants to be saved, yes, and they want to go to heaven, but then they just remain sort of a secret believer. And they do everything they can to just kind of, you know, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I want fire insurance, but I'm going to live as much like a non-Christian so nobody picks up on the fact that I'm a Christian. (laughs) And they may have faith in Christ and perhaps are headed towards heaven. But I'll tell you something, if that's the way you live your Christian life, if you don't have no real interest in living godly and living for God, then the devil's probably not that concerned about you. I hate to break your bubble. This to me is a warning and a promise that there is something to be expected for the person who has an ongoing desire to really live for God. To really live godly in your relationship. To be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Because if you truly live for Jesus openly and boldly, seeking to please God, and you're dedicated to the Lord, I'll tell you, that's going to draw spiritual resistance. And the powers of darkness are going to try and oppose and resist you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. And it's because I drew you out of the world, he says in John 15. That's why the world hates you. And he says, a servant's not above his master. If they persecuted and hated me, they're going to hate and persecute you also if you're in relationship and you're living with me. The devil's going to seek to hinder and discourage and make us suffer, hopefully to deter our devotion to the Lord. He's going to bring difficulty and hardship to break that desire to live for the Lord. Please hear me this morning. Hard to hear, but helpful. If you determine to live devoted to Jesus Christ, if you make a decision to live godly and faithful in your relationship with the Lord, you must be willing to accept the cost that will come along with that and be willing to embrace that. But you also must be encouraged to know that though the world and people may reject you, the Lord Jesus is proud of you. 
Very proud. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. See, it's a perspective thing. Yeah, we can live now for the approval and acceptance of this world, but I encourage you, don't do that. Live for Christ. Ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit and fill you with the fire of God that you can burn brightly as the world gets more dark. Let's stand together. Let's pray.